Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Hey, thank you. You know what? Actually, hold on. Let me, let me try that one more time. Um, this is my first time, first time trying this out all year, so I, I hope it goes across well. But uh, Merry Christmas. Can I say that? <laughs> is it too soon to say Merry Christmas? Listen, Thanksgiving is behind us, so we should be able to move on to that now. Uh, for those of you who are just joining the Christmas season, welcome to the party, man. Some of us have been there <laughs> for the past couple of weeks, maybe even the past couple of months by now. Here's what I want to do. Uh, if you're watching at GetHope.tv, uh, go ahead and, and if your Christmas tree is up already, I want you to type uh, in the comment section, uh, the date that you put your Christmas tree up, okay? Now, for everybody that's at one of our physical campuses, we're gonna do a quick little poll of the room. How many of you, uh, your Christmas tree is up already? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, here we go. This is, this is where we're gonna have a little bit of fun, all right? Uh, keep your hand raised if it was up before Thanksgiving Day. All right. How about November 15th? Halfway through November <laughs> And then here's the real one, okay? Keep it up high, you don't have to hide this. If your Christmas tree was up on November 1st or prior, raise your hand and keep it raised high, let everybody see you. (laughs) Listen, if I could, I would run around to each and every one of you and high five that hand right now because y'all are my people, man. I'm right there with you. Uh, Now, unfortunately, here's the reality. Uh, My Christmas tree is not up in our house yet because my wife won't let me. That is is the reality. And then uh, she, she won't let me do it by myself because then she would get upset about that, so. I've agreed not to put it up yet, um, but I understand her reasoning for it. She goes, well, listen, we have to get past Thanksgiving first, and then we can go ahead and put the tree up, which I get, like, Thanksgiving's an awesome time. We should slow down. We should be grateful. We should be thankful. But I'm ready to get to the presents. Like, I love the fact that as soon as my food is finished digesting, I can run out to the store for Black Friday and be like, hey, all that thankfulness stuff was great. Let me just start buying all the stuff that I want, right? No, that's, that's not actually the way that it is. But I love the Christmas season. And I'm often in a rush to get to it. Like, uh, let's put Halloween on the back burner. Let's get past Thanksgiving as fast as we can. I want to get to Christmas because that's the exciting thing, right? Like all the holidays are good, but for me, Christmas is like the good part. And I've noticed that for a lot of us, we love to rush to get to the good part. That's just the reality, right? That's the way that things go. And, and actually, I don't think this is just independent of us. I think this is actually something that's been taught and kind of grafted into us over time. Um, one way that this happens is through the media that we consume, through the entertainment that we watch, right? Uh, most movies, the way that they work is there's a first act, which is where some sort of major problem arises. And then there's the second act where uh, you try to figure out, okay, what's our plan for resolving the issue? And then the third act is when, you know, everything comes together and then the problem gets solved and ha ha hooray, all that stuff, right? Everybody gets really excited about it. But as our attention spans get shorter, so does the second act. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Like we love short stories that start, they resolve quickly, and then it's just over with. Uh, And and I can prove this to you. It's in some of our most famous movies that we watch. Uh, Fellas, for you, maybe it's the Rocky movies. 
Um, I don't know if you know this, but like that Rocky montage that everybody loves, I had the Tigers playing, all that stuff, it's two minutes and 45 seconds long. And so we start to think in our brains, uh, oh, getting over a major issue, going from zero to hero can happen in about two minutes and 45 seconds. But then your New Year's resolution kicks in, you go to the gym and you realize, oh, it takes a little bit longer than two minutes and 45 seconds uh, to get the abs that I want, right? There's some work that's gonna have to go into it. There's some time that's gonna have to go into it. Uh, And it's not just guys, like ladies, you can can laugh at us as much as you want, um, but there's this film company who uh, they dabble in greeting cards. They're called Hallmark. Uh, and they do the same thing because movie after movie after movie in just about an hour and a half, uh, there's a woman who can go from being a workaholic, a, uh, hopeless romantic in a big city. And in about an hour, hour and a half's time, she lives in a small town. She's met the love of her life. Work doesn't matter to her anymore. She's got a golden retriever and she opens the bakery that she's always dreamed about. Right. We love it when these things happen in such a short period of time, but that's, that's not the way that the world works, but it's the way we're taught that the world works. Even from before you were born, I'm willing to bet that your parents at some point said, we can't wait for the baby to get here. And then you are born and they say, oh, we can't wait for the baby to start crawling. Then we can't wait for the baby to start talking. We can't wait for the baby to start walking. So before you even have a chance to, to impress this on yourself, the world around us is already saying, man, we can't wait for what's next. And your parents say, we can't wait for their first day of school. And usually around then is when that syndrome is passed on to us, <laughs> where we start saying, man, I, I'm, in, I'm in elementary school. I can't wait until I'm in middle school. And then I can't wait until I'm in high school. And I can't wait till I get my first job. I can't wait till I get my license. I can't wait till I go to college. I can't wait till I graduate. I can't wait till I get my job. And then you get that job and you realize you're single and you say, I can't wait till I meet somebody. Then I can't wait till we're engaged. Then I can't wait until we're married. And then I can't wait until the honeymoon. And then I can't wait until we have kids. And then next thing you know, you have these kids and now we're impressing the same things on them. It's a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. Oh, we can't wait till the baby's here. We can't wait until they start crawling and then so on and so forth. But when we look at scripture, when we look at the Bible, um, particularly when we look at uh, the fruit of the spirit, we realize uh, there are two of them that come up all the time. Uh, There's patience and there's self-control. We see both of those in there. And so for us as Christians, Uh, I would argue there's a sense that in in some way, uh, this idea of I can't wait almost shouldn't be in our vocabulary. And I say almost because, listen, I'm not trying to say that we as Christians should never look forward to anything, right? That's not the reality. As a matter of fact, so much of our faith is built around us setting our eyes and fixing our eyes on a future hope, right? God tells us, uh, the word even tells us that we should not focus on the things that are seen for the things that are seen or temporary. Instead, we should focus on the things that are unseen. The Bible tells us that we should fix our eyes on heaven, right? We should constantly have a hope that looks forward. However, the idea that we can't wait, that we are incapable of waiting goes against everything the, uh, the Holy Spirit says that he'll do in our lives. It goes against the ideas that, that he will give us patience and he will give us self-control. And so often we're rushing to try to get to the next thing because that's the way our culture operates, right? Our culture is always just running and sprinting at full speed. And unfortunately, I think we've taken this, this, this Western idea of, of rushing through the story. And I think we, we actually, that's the lens that we read our Bibles through as well. I mean, think about some of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? You have Noah. 
for most of us, we would probably say, hey, what happened in the life of Noah? Uh, one day God came to him, said, build a boat. A week later it rained. And then like two weeks later, the rainwater went away and then everybody lived happily ever after, right? Um, no, <laughs> actually Noah was a senior citizen when God came to him and said, uh, I want you to spend the next few decades of your life building a boat for when the rain comes. And he goes, what's rain? <laughs> could, could you imagine that? Could you imagine you're, you're sitting at home waiting for that benefit check to come in the mail, <laughs> your social security check to come in and God says, no, actually I want you to dedicate the next few decades of your life waiting for something that you've never seen before. Do you think Noah ever had that time? You think he ever had that moment while he's building the boat and years and years and years go by where, where his friends come to him and say, Noah, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building the boat for rain. I'm sorry, right? What are you saying? We don't know Ryan. What, what is Ryan? What are, you, what are you talking about? No, it's rain. It's, it's water that falls from the sky. Okay, Noah. And do you think that he ever had this moment where the voices that he heard became louder than the voice of God? And he's like, what am I, what am I doing? Am I even on the right path? We think about Joseph, right? I think we love Joseph's story uh, because this is true American rags to riches tale, right? Jo one day Joseph has a dream. Uh, the dream we eventually come to find means that his brothers will one day bow down to him and they will see him as some sort of authority figure. Uh, and so Joseph, I think he doesn't even entirely know what that dream means, uh, but uh, what we do see is that instead of that becoming his reality right away, he, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, and then he gets imprisoned. And eventually, uh, Joseph does become second in command over all of Egypt. And we read that and we're like, man, four short chapters. This is great. We love this, God. This is awesome. But those four short chapters represent 13 years of slavery and imprisonment for Joseph. And so I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say that Joseph was a good Christ follower or a good, good, good uh, follower of God. And let's say if he only complained once a year for those 13 years, that's at least 13 times where I would imagine Joseph had this moment where he said, God, this, this doesn't look like that dream you gave me. God, do you, do you even remember me here? I mean, right, we know from that story uh, that, that the king at the time, he had forgotten about Joseph in the prison. And I wonder if Joseph ever had the thought, God, did, did you forget about me too? Let me ask you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like God had told you something, promised you something, and you think, man, we are not, the, the GPS, the trajectory does not seem right. It doesn't seem like things are lining up the way that they should. And listen, I'm not talking about like things that we think we deserve, right? Because this happens all the time. Oh, well, I deserve this. I deserve that. And so uh, that must be a promise from God. No, listen, I'm, I'm going to talk to some of my people really quick who in, a, in an intimate time of prayer, in an intimate, serious time with God in your word, you genuinely felt like God was stirring up something inside of you, uh, uh, telling you what his plans were for your life. And you just think, man, this does not look like that at all. Maybe you're in here. And uh, you've only been following, for, uh, following Jesus for a few weeks and, uh, and you start reading the Bible and you're like, man, I see all these promises, but, but I don't see them playing out in my life, right? And then you look down and you're like, oh, I have the King James Version. Uh, there's a new King James Version. Maybe mine is just outdated. Maybe I need to get, maybe I need to get the patch update and figure out what it is, right? And figure out where, where we're updating this thing. Um, 
Sidebar, what's really funny about that uh, joke is that uh, most people who read the King James Version probably don't know what a patch update is, but I, that's a story for a different, can I say, I don't know if I can say, I said it, we recorded it, it's already there. Um, but I think that's so funny, man, is, is that we think, man, there must be something that I'm missing. Maybe you're in here and you don't follow Jesus yet, but you're in here because you're looking for some sort of magic bullet solution to all of your problems. I have good news and I have bad news. <laughs> The good news is I genuinely believe that a life following Jesus is the ultimate solution to every problem the world has ever known. I genuinely believe that like I can rest my head on my pillow every night firmly believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, just like he tells us in his word. However, the process in seeing what all of that looks like day to day is usually a long one. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the story of a man named David, because uh, I think his life actually illustrates this point very, very well. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take a look at, uh, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and then we're going to kind of move our way through the story pretty quickly until we get to 1 Samuel chapter 4. That's really where the, where the meat and potatoes of this whole thing is. Um, but let me go ahead and, and paint the picture for you really quick about, uh, about where the setting and everything that's going on here, okay? We're dropping in on the nation of Israel. And Israel, uh, they're, they're doing okay for themselves. They're doing all right. For the most part, uh, they, they try to find some sort of authority figure. And so we go through this long period of them having judges that they blow it, right? They're, they're not doing a great job. Uh, and so one day uh, they say, hey, uh, God, we want a king. And God's like, but I'm your king. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. But like, <laughs> we want like a king king, you know, like a people. We want one of those. You know, the broken, messed up, flawed kind that make mistakes and they're really insecure and prideful. Yeah, give us one of those. And so God does. Um, God appoints a man named Saul to, to see over them. Uh, and the Bible actually tells us that, that Saul is head and shoulders above the rest, meaning that he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. He, he looks the part. Everybody's like, yeah, Saul, he's our guy. Um, but remember, Saul is, is human. And so he comes with all of his flaws and all of his insecurities, but eventually it's his pride that gets in the way. And so it becomes so bad that God, uh, he, he, he institutes, uh, or actually he calls a man named Samuel, who's a prophet. He says, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. Uh, he has a bunch of sons. And when you get there, I'm going to show you which of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So uh, Samuel goes over to Jesse's house and he starts lining them up and he starts knocking them down. He's like, God, is this the guy? And God's like, nope. What about this one? Nope. What about this one? Nope. And eventually he works through all of Jesse's sons. And, uh, and let's look at what happened. This is first Samuel chapter 16, verse 10. Uh, it says, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were, pre uh, were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. I think this was Samuel's way of trying to speed up the pace. <laughs> he was like, listen, we're not going to eat nothing until we find out where this last boy is. They're like, okay, let's go get him right away so we can sit down and dig in. Uh, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. 
So there it is, right? David is anointed as king, uh, um, uh, anointed uh, to be king one day by God. His destiny is kind of impressed on him at that moment. Uh, and I just want you to think about this like in, in, in modern day terms, right? Uh, imagine there's a boss that you work with who you don't get along with super well. And then one day, uh, one of the suits at your company, they call you into their office and they say, hey, listen, we've seen the work you're doing. You're doing a great job. Uh, we wanna let you know, uh, we're going to give you a promotion but you have to wait until your boss retires, leaves, gets hit by a bus, one of those things, right? Uh, so you're sitting around and you're thinking about it and, and then that's when that phrase starts coming up for us again. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait until I get in that position and I get that, that pay raise. Or I'm feeling really mistreated around here. I can't wait until I get in that position because then I'll finally get the respect that I deserve. But then the unholy thoughts start to creep in because <laughs> now you're, you're watching your boss and you're watching all the mistakes they make. And so then our own kind of pride and insecurity starts to, to rise up, right? Every time your boss makes a decision that you disagree with, you go, this buffoon, <laughs> this idiot. I can't wait, see, when, ooh, when they're out of there, I'm gonna do things different and I'm gonna do them better and I'm gonna show everybody. Or maybe you start going behind your boss's back and then you start, you start winning people over to your team, right? You start, man, have you ever noticed that they don't approve all your time off the way that you want to? Man, when I'm in charge, you're gonna love me when I'm in charge. And then all these things start to rise up. But David doesn't do any of that. David's a man of integrity. David patiently waits and he patiently serves however God calls him to. You know, it's fascinating. I think the thing that, that really sets David apart from Saul, uh, it mentions, the Bible mentions that both of these guys were attractive, which feels like a weird detail. Like, all right, you could have left that part out. <laughs> um, but really what's more impressive is the fact that just a few verses before this, uh, in verse seven, uh, it says, the Lord doesn't see the things that we, the, that we see. It says that people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think God looked at David's heart and he realized, man, this, this kid's got something. He has a heart that I can work with. He has a heart built on humility. And so David's humility gets put on display for the next few chapters. And even though he isn't king yet, it really feels like the story is starting to play out in his favor. He's not king yet, uh, but what we see is that uh, he ends up being brought into Saul's court to, to play music for Saul. Uh, so this is, this is like, this is making sense <laughs> in our humanity. Oh yeah, God, you said I'd be king one day. It only makes sense that I'm rubbing shoulders with the king. This feels like the way the story should be playing out. And then the rest of the time, uh, it feels like the next few chapters really do feel like that Rocky montage for David because he, he goes from uh, tending to, to sheep to now being inside of Saul's palace. And then he becomes a war hero, right? This is one of those stories that a lot of us are familiar with. It's a story of David and Goliath. Uh, and so David goes out, they fight the Philistines, they win. And then when they come back, everybody's team David now. It's just kind of this natural shift that starts to happen. Um, and so look at, look, at, look at the way this plays out. This is 1 Samuel 18, chapter six, uh, I'm sorry, verse six. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, talking about Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced, with joy, uh, danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And so Saul is probably feeling himself right now, right? He's sitting in the, in the palace. He looks down the road. 
There's a long line of women coming towards him. They've got instruments. And he's like, hey, let's get this party started. I did it. <laughs> I led everybody in the battle. We won. This is great. And so he starts, you know, he's jamming out to the music and then he listens to what they're saying. And for all of my hip hop fans out there, y'all, this is the first diss track ever recorded in human history. <laughs> and it's a pretty lazy one, if I'm honest. <laughs> it says this was their song. Saul killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul, oh, I like this beat, man. This is good. <laughs> I like, wait. <laughs> what are they saying? First Samuel 18, eight through nine. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It didn't take much for him, did it? All it took was a couple of women coming over and going, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. (laughs) And now he hates David. He sees him as his enemy. But David never makes this switch in his brain, which is really interesting to me. David doesn't view Saul as his enemy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. The drama really starts to pile on here. Over the next couple of verse, or chapters, we're not really going to get into detail about it, but if your Bible has those little headings in it like mine does, uh, you can see that this is a recipe for disaster. Uh, David marries Saul's daughter. Then Saul tries to kill David. Feels like a natural progression. <laughs> uh, David's wife and his best friend, uh, Jonathan, uh, they, they try to help save him from Saul's assassination attempts towards him. Uh, David's sitting at a dinner with Saul one day and Saul goes, you know what, bump this guy. He starts throwing spears at him. He goes, you know what, I'm a peace out. <laughs> and you thought Thanksgiving with your family was weird, right? This is the type of drama that he was living in. And this is what leads David into the wilderness because now he's on the run for his entire life. And this is the part when we get confused because until then, David's winning battles. He's in Saul's house. He's like, God, you're doing a great job. (laughs) Pacing, 10 out of 10. Popularity, through the roof. You know what you're doing, God. But then he ends up in this cave and, and, and you have to wonder if at some point he thought, man, it feels like we're moving in the wrong direction. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked back on your life and you saw the way that things were paced at one point and you were like, man, God, you were crushing it back then. Can you, can you bring some of that around <laughs> one more time? You think about the days when, when you graduated top of your class, maybe you, you graduated school on time, you, you fell right into your career and things just kind of work out for you. It didn't take long before you found your soulmate and now all those things just aren't matching up the way you thought they were. You got all this student loan debt, your, your spouse turns out not to be who you thought they were. Maybe you, you can't even share in a meal together without arguing with one another. The kids who were just the cutest when they were born and a gift from God have turned into the spawn of Satan. <laughs> You're like, God, what are we doing? I, I thought I was following all the cues. I read my Bible. I show up to church. It's a holiday weekend. I'm still here. Like, God, I'm, I'm doing my part, but where are you right now? How did I end up in this cave, can I offer you a possibility that maybe you haven't considered? Maybe these wilderness seasons, these spots where you're in some place where it seems like you're not supposed to be, maybe those are an opportunity for God to breed and grow something inside of you that, that you need in order to go wherever it is that he wants to take you next. The problem is, is that 
oh, we can't wait. (laughs) We don't want to slow down for God's pacing. But let me tell you something, man. If, If you feel like your life is moving pretty slow, let me remind you, you are in great company. Because this book, the Bible is full of story after story after story after story after story of God moving on his timing and his pace and then people seeing fruit developed and cultivated inside of their lives. It's almost, think about this, okay? Uh, This book is full of stories that God moving at his own pace. And this book is inspired by God. It's almost as if God sent us this like shining neon sign of like, hey, look at how I do things. (laughs) And instead we're just like, hmm doesn't match up with my timeline. God is revealing his character to us through the words of the Bible. And we get bummed so quickly. (laughs) God, well, I thought it would move faster than this. Where'd you get that from? God, well, I thought by now I'd be further along. Is that, does that line up with his nature? (laughs) Uh, I, this is going to be a shock. Um, I don't know anything about NASCAR. Um, That's not a shock because if, you know, um, (laughs) I don't know anything about NASCAR. Uh, But every now and then I go to Buffalo Wild Wings and there's a race on and I look up at a TV and uh, I see the cars and they're like right next to each other. They're in a single file or like a double file line. I don't remember. I'm pulling this from memory. I told you, I've only seen this one time. Uh, And they're, they're, they're going at like a normal speed. And I remember thinking, like, what is that? What are they doing? Like, this is supposed to be a race. This is very boring. <laughs> and uh, in front of them, there's another car. It's called the pace car. At least that's what Google told me yesterday when I Googled it. Um, it's called the pace car. And the pace car is there to let them know, listen, if there's any sort of hazard on the road, this is how fast we should go. If there's an accident that we need to clean up, If there's any unforeseen circumstance that you may not be aware of, this car is here to make sure that we don't outrun each other and cause more trouble. And I think that's the same way the Holy Spirit leads our our lives. Uh, I was talking to Clay Burgess about this. He's on staff here. You've seen him up here teaching a couple of times. And uh, and he goes, you know what's funny? He goes, uh, if we are supposed to be following God and God moves at a pace of three miles per hour, but we're often moving at six miles per hour, who are we following? What a profound question, right? Because now we try to find shortcuts. We try to move in a way uh, that, that, that actually leads us to what we think we want even faster. But, but here's the scary part. Sin is usually disguised as a shortcut. We see this through scripture all the time, Right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Satan says, oh, just eat of the apple. Then you'll be like God. They're looking for a shortcut. God promises Abraham a kid. Instead, he starts having a baby-making competition with every woman in his life. (laughs) Tries to take it into his own hands. And instead, he just causes more issues for himself. And David's presented with this opportunity to take a shortcut and to try to outpace God, but he doesn't. Look at this. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24. This is, this is our main point or our main uh, passage that we're going to look at today. Um, Saul is hunting David, trying to kill him, trying to take him out. And uh, David's hiding in this cave with 600 guys that you do not want to be with. Like, 
If misery loves company, it's a whole different thing when your company makes you miserable. That's what these guys are doing. They're the ones that nobody wants to be with, but somehow they're with David in this cave. And uh, all this war and manhunting has uh, gone straight to Saul's bladder. So he walks into this cave uh, to relieve himself, as the Bible says. Uh, And while he's there, hunched over like a dog in the most vulnerable position that he's ever been in, David has an opportunity. And look at what, look at what those, those guys in the cave tell David. They say, now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Listen, these guys are super spiritual, right? <laughs> They're not just saying, oh, David, this is a good idea, go and attack. No, they say, man, look at God. <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> he has set you up for just the time as this, right? And David almost makes it out of this. He has his opportunity at a shortcut. He, he almost makes it out, but he, he dabbles just a little bit. First Samuel chapter 24 says, uh, four through six says, so David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should choose to do this to the Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. I think David points out something that we need to recognize. Even in the wilderness, even when he's running for his own life, even when Saul is proving more and more each day to be prideful and arrogant and violent, David recognizes that somehow this is also a part of God's plan. he still recognizes that for some reason that even he doesn't understand, God has appointed Saul as king and he knows his time isn't up yet. David doesn't fully know what God's doing with Saul, but David trusts what God's doing with him. And that's what I wanna encourage you with. You may not understand what God is doing with the circumstances in your life right now. Few of us ever do but we can trust in the goodness of God to see us through the things that don't make any sense. One of the things that's crazy about this, um, you know, the Bible tells us that that God is close to the brokenhearted, that when we're going through hard times, that God is actually right there with us in the midst of it. Uh, David becomes one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. The book of Psalms, he he's, he's, uh, writes out his prayers and he writes these songs to God uh, that have come to bless the church for all of human history. But so many of them come out of these dark moments. And as a matter of fact, uh, it is Psalm chapter 57 that David writes about his time in the cave. And I think he gives us a little bit of a peek into how he makes it through all of these t- tough times. I'm going to read this really quick. And I know that if you're in a season that is tough for you right now, you may not have the ears to hear this, but my hope would be that this would soak into your soul and that maybe you go home and you read this two, three, four, five, a hundred times until you start to believe it. But I think there's something we can learn from this. David writes this. He says, have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy. I will look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. And in this translation, it says interlude. 
Um, maybe the Bible that you have, it has the word selah. Um, we don't fully know what that word means, but in the context of how we see it used throughout the Psalms, usually what, what we assume it to mean is uh, take a moment to pause and reflect about what you just said, but it also means think diligently about what you're gonna say next. So um, in this case, he's, he's recognizing his, his situation. He's recognizing uh, just how tough it is. But then he pauses, he reflects on the goodness of God and he thinks intentionally about what he's gonna say next. And look at the next words out of David's mouth. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine all over the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Let me pause. (laughs) My heart is confident in you, O God. And then I don't know if he's trying to say this again for emphasis or if he's trying to remind his soul of this, but he repeats that line. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among all the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. There's two perspectives that I want us to take away from our time with David in the cave. And here's the first one. The first, we must learn to recognize and trust in the steadfastness of God. We must learn to recognize and trust in the steadfastness of God. If that sounds really churchy, here's all it means. We remember and recall that God has been good and God will always be good. That's the first thing that that we have to stir up inside of us. And these are the places where our faith grows because this is a place where our faith is tested. The second thing that we learn from David, uh, this actually comes when we revisit First uh, Samuel chapter 24, uh, he, he just spares Saul's life. And then look at what he does. He turns to those 600 men who are in that cave with him. And it says, David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. One day David was gonna be king. He wasn't king now, but he did realize there were 600 guys that he had the opportunity to lead. And so he didn't say, well, you know what, God, Until you make true on your promise, I'm just gonna coast. I'm gonna just take it easy. No, instead what he did was he said, hey God, listen, where I'm at right now doesn't look like where you're taking me, but you've called me to faithfulness right now. So I know I'm gonna be a leader over a nation one day, but I'm a leader in a cave right now. And so this is the lesson that we learned from David that we must remain steadfast ourselves, even in the wilderness. It's so much easier said than done. I think it starts with one question, simple question. God, what do you want to develop within me and how can I yield to what you want to teach me in this season? I just want to encourage you, if you haven't asked this question before, it's probably because you need to slow down to ask it. (laughs) 
And then even in that slowing down, it takes a, a resolve and a patience in waiting for the answer from God. Because sometimes I think we say, okay, God, how do, I, how do I serve you faithfully right now? You didn't give me an answer by lunch? All right, I'm gonna figure it out on my own. <laughs> and then we get right back in the problem that we started with. But here's a little exercise that you can do this week. Something, a, a little practice in slowing down in this busy, hectic season of the holidays. I want you to say, you know what, God? I'm tired of worrying about this. So for right now, for the next week, I'm gonna hit the pause button and I'm just gonna soak in your goodness. I'm just gonna reflect on, on who you are. I'm just gonna prioritize resting in your holiness. And then you know what? Maybe when January gets here, we'll start talking again. We'll try to figure that out. But for right now, I wanna invite you and ask you, where does God have you right now? And where does he wanna lead you next? Maybe for you, you're in here and you're like, man, I have no relationship with God. I haven't, I haven't thought about this before. Listen to me. David paints us a picture of an ultimate king who stepped out of his high position that he was placed in by God to come down into our world, to meet us in the wilderness and then show us what life is really all about. David is the mirror of a perfect king who has already set the way for each and every one of us. And so if you're like, man, I am in a dark season and I don't know my way out, can I recommend Jesus? Can I tell you that he's probably the one that has every solution to every problem that you could ever ask for? I'm gonna take a moment as we close out our time today. I'm, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray for two groups of people. For those of you who you're in the wilderness and you have no sense of direction on a way out. I'm gonna pray that Jesus will make himself real and known to you. And then for those of you who, who you've been following Jesus, but you just don't know where he is, I'm gonna pray that he would reveal himself to us as well. Lord, we love you. And we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your sacrifices that you've made for us. We're thankful for the ways that you change and transform our lives. But, but Lord, I know for a fact that there are people in this room who are looking for something and all they see are the walls of a cave. God, I pray that, that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would show them that, that, that you are the ultimate solution to every problem this world has ever had. And God, I also pray for those of us who are going through just tough seasons, man. The holidays, as, as exciting as they can be, as invigorating as they can be, they're also a reminder of, of what we lack. They're also a reminder of where we hurt. They're also a reminder of, our, our, of how broken our families are. Lord, help us to slow down in the midst of the chaos and the busyness and the hectic. Help us to slow down and realign ourselves with you, to receive uh, uh, just the goodness of who you are and to recognize that God, even in those dark places, you're here with us. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.